Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're welcoming Dan Muller to the show. Dan is the founder of AeroPay, a patented payments process that enables smart bank transfers between businesses and their customers or other businesses. Prior to AeroPay, Dan held numerous positions at GP Shopper, including the Vice President of Product and Vice President of Software Engineering. He earned his bachelor's degree in political science from Franklin and Marshall College. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks, guys. Great to be on with you. Excited to chat today. Dan, if you don't mind, please share with our listeners a little bit about AeroPay. Sure. So AeroPay was founded in 2017, really on the simple premise to make payments easier for businesses and their customers. So when I worked at GP Shopper, I had a ton of experience working with large brands and retailers like Best Buy, BB, Express, Foot Locker. And we built all different types of in-store and online solutions. And during many of those projects, integrating payments and, and payment solutions was always really difficult. And, you know, just being a curious product oriented person, feeling back the layers, realizing, you know, payments behind the fold was, was really broken and really needed reshaping. Two ways to do that. One kind of taking that standard kind of card acceptance process and making it easier or finding a new way to move money altogether for those businesses. I chose the latter, uh, which was much harder to do, but figured, you know, I had the product know-how as well as uh, the go-to-market approach to, to make it happen. So founded AeroPay really based on that thinking in 2017. Um, decided to, to base it in Chicago, um, given the, the convergence of fintech financial services and, and retail and e-commerce experience here created an alpha product, help kind of develop the, the first version of it. Um, and it's expanded quite a bit ever since. Excited to talk about how that trajectory has happened. But yeah, it's all really revolving about the idea of a bank transfer. So instead of using a standard card, we use a digital payment bank transfer, similar to anything you might do with a Zelle or Venmo eCheck experience. Um, we're just bringing that to businesses and allowing customers to link their accounts and pay those businesses in a seamless way, doing a few main things as a benefit toward other methods, right? Much cheaper than your standard card, faster than almost every solution out there, much more secure because we don't store any sense of information as a part of the payment. But that's really a little bit about AeroPay and I'm excited to dive in with you guys. It's an interesting marketplace. There seems, and forgive me, I don't know it well enough, but I've heard uh, there's going to be some tax laws implications around these transfers of money from person to person that uh, if you use a certain amount that you're going to have to start notifying the IRS about this. Is that is that going to impact what you're doing and, and where you're going with this? Yeah, well, I think our, our payment's designed around a business payment, right? So tax really flows the same way that it would with that business, whether it's collected, you know, cash card or AeroPay. Um, on one side of our transaction, there always needs to be a business, right? Okay. So the business accept payments or the business can disperse payments, let's say in a payout or a reward to their users. And 
that's the beauty about the platform we've created. Originally, it was kind of a simple in-store payment method. It's now evolved into e-commerce, API-driven use cases. So that really, it depends on how the business wants to leverage our platform. They can use it in a variety of ways. And the sort of the tax aspect of that is built into the use case that, that currently exists, uh, whether that's you know, cash card or AeroPay. Yeah, I'm just curious, how did you come up with the name AeroPay? Yeah, so um, spent a lot of time thinking about it. I felt as though brand, when it comes to moving money, is critical, right? People trust brands that they see with sensitive items like moving money if they kind of feel as though that brand is, is telling the, an authentic story and, and feels trustworthy. And so for me, you know, flying and airplanes and, you know, the efficiency we've created around that method of transportation translated to sort of something that was already happening in payments, you know, thinking about kind of going away from the old way of doing things and really doing something in a new way that sort of flies over way of doing things. Um, resonated a lot with me and kind of did a lot of research. And arrow is A-R-O is a prefix that is you know translatable in many languages and extends globally. And I felt like it communicated that authenticity that we needed to be a new brand in money movement and payments. That's awesome. So one of the things we talked about before was the support and the reason why Chicago was when there's, there's a good network of innovators, entrepreneurs. Tell your story about that, because I think that was really an exciting part of like, why Chicago? Yeah, yeah. Not being from here, I think it was a surprise to, to most. I'm originally from New York, and I think there's an insect, instinct, you know, that kind of starting a startup, you might want to go to a coast, whether it's east or west. But having been here for now over 10 years, I found a really good niche and you know, finding the right people and the right talent, getting supported by the ecosystem right away at the earliest phase, you know, that's a challenge in other places, right? You may need to be in the right circles or, you know, get a first big break in, in other places where here, I think there is a startup ecosystem that enables the earliest phases of ideas. You know, sometimes it's tricky to go from earliest phase to scale. And that's what kind of we learned over the last few years. But as far as fostering entrepreneurship, I think Chicago and the Midwest is, is quite underrated and accessibility is great, right? Like there are people here that have built great companies and continue to do so. And they are really one call away, one email away. And, and I personally want to kind of encourage that as I look to work with new up and coming founders and entrepreneurs. But I think accessibility is, is good. And, and especially when it looks to um, like access, accessibility with corporates, you know, helping collaborate innovation, creating pilots with corporates that are already here. I think that's an underrated aspect as well. So very psyched to be Chicago-based, expand the Chicago office and do a lot of hiring and growth here. That's great. And uh, having family from New York and ha having family in Chicago, the Chicago side definitely appreciates your endorsement. Uh, there's always that competitive nature between uh, Chicago Don't and New York. Don't ask me about the pizza because... Yeah, we're not going to touch on it. No. No, that's that's when the fighting starts right there. Exactly. First time I went to uh, New York, we flew into LaGuardia. And for some reason at 1230 in the morning, my uncle required that he takes an eighth grader 
to a pizza place in the middle of Queens so that I can quote unquote, have pizza for the first time. <laughs> with love and tennis. I'm, I'm that way with my, uh, my favorite deli in Mamaroneck, New York. That's my first stop. Nice. So you, you mentioned uh, hiring a lot of people. I think that's a, a, we, a lot of people we talk to, that is a big challenge, right? That is a, that's a, a very, uh, I can tell you, I had two calls this morning that that was the primary point of the conversation. Uh, I had a meeting with a very large medical firm's uh, recruiting executives to talk about what they need to be doing to compete more here in Chicago. So from your perspective, right? How, what is your plan? What, how do you plan to overcome that challenge? What are you going to do to not to give away secrets or anything, but. Yeah. I, you know, I think, you know, especially as you start playing to new phases in your kind of startup or early stage life cycle, you know, things change quite a bit and, you know, being flexible and adapting on the fly is probably the thing I learned most over the last few years. You know, you go from, having to do everything all the time and, and the folks that are around you kind of mimicking that trait. And that's, you know, you're in survival mode or growth mode and, and you just have to live and frankly die by that at, at points in time. But then you look to scale and you just get to a point where, you know, one person can't wear as many hats in order to grow the business in the way that your customers need them to. And so, I asked early, early on after our kind of second institutional round, a bunch of founders, you know, what's the biggest difference between going from, you know, angel, pre-seed, early stage to seed series A, and they all answered almost in unison people. And then kind of towing that line between, you know, generalists and veterans and, you know, and individual contributors, specialists that can really help you scale and, and building out those teams. So just being conscious of that and, and taking it head on and not shying away from that discussion, even though it can be tough. But, you know, even if your generalists want to continue being them, but finding lanes where they can really grow their careers, I think that's key. And, and hiring against that makes a lot of sense. Um, so people that are still understanding like, hey, it's a startup, we have to be lean, we have to do a lot, but we want to help this company scale and grow and build the right processes to be successful long term. It's an interesting scenario where schools and so many organizations that are on that timeline of our, our development as, as children and young adults and, and the focus on specialization is like its own self-defeating behavior where the generous, so if I'm reading what you're saying, the generalists at the beginning are like those people who can float around on, on multiple things. They can be okay at like four or five things. So the question I want to ask, because I, I, I wrestle with this in my head because of the idea of like, yeah, we moved to that point of specialists where it's like, oh, it's big enough to have somebody specialize in it. But sometimes I always think like the generalists are going to be your leaders, right? Like they, they elevate, they're always going to be in that I can handle anything okay, right? So then are you creating your own problem down the road? And again, I'm just speculating, like we bring in the specialists. We had the generalists, now we have the specialists. The specialists now are going to like live in a silo where the generalists expand, they fill gaps, right? Are we, should, should the generalists find generalists, right? I don't know. Again, I, I, that's just something that bounces around my head every once in a while. That's, that's like the, the great second part to, to your question, right? Because even if you have generalists and specialists, are they leaders or individual contributors, right? So those are the aspects you have to consider alongside 
the focus element to it, right? Um, and sometimes, you know, you might have a generalist who wants to, you know, really stay that way, but not really be a leader and embrace that. Or you have a leader that is a specialist and can build a team around that. So I think any organization is going to have skill issues uh, to decipher in, in that way, you know, but I, I don't think there's an easy answer, right? It's, it's bespoke for every company and you have to, and it's conversations and it's planning and for us, it's, you know, building alongside our investors and our board and, and being super transparent, maybe like too transparent, right? You got to really open everything up about the business and start to think, you know, play chess with it, get, get ahead, get six months, get a year, get two years. And it's not just financial planning, but it's okay. You've got a role in your model. Well, you know, let's start understanding who fits those, those roles and, and how they can best scale. And if it's not in the org, do we hire against it or do we find someone within the org that can fill it um, long-term with some training and, and mentorship? So a lot of really good, healthy aspects, but not shying away from it, I think is, is absolutely key. You've obviously put a lot of thought into that. And I, I find it really fascinating because I've talked to founders in the past who basically say that's their biggest mistake. Like they, they hired their friends right out of the gate and then they ran out of friends and, and then they didn't have a strategy right. for who they wanted to hire and, and what positions they wanted to hire for. So that's incredible. I will say that when, when there's someone at the company that recommends a friend or somebody they know, that's like a huge piece of endorsement, you know, somebody really advocating for the business and then a person and that two-way kind of sales cycle, right? That person has to feel comfortable with the company as much as we feel comfortable with them. And so that endorsement bridges that gap quite a bit. Which, which I think is, is something we found really successful. And then retention is really good. And it's not just, hey, this is my, you know, my buddy or, or someone right. I'm close to, but it's, this is someone within my network I've worked with or I've seen operate. Um, and I think they'd be a great fit. Yeah, I didn't have that problem because I didn't have any friends. So I had to, <laughs> so that would, I saved myself that learning stage. <laughs> no, just kidding. All my friends are dumb. That's why I couldn't hire them. No, I, but it, it's, it's a great point, like to expand your business. I also think like, hiring leaders, right, is is a better. Like, so when you're always thinking, hey, I got to I'm looking to grow. Right. To your point of like, it's almost the the, the connector is, is, is their person's ability to bring on other people is almost as valuable as their ability to do the job, especially at a, like, a leadership position where. Part of the conversation I had yesterday was simply they've got somebody who thinks that it's HR's job to bring them all of these perfectly crafted, talented people mm -hmm. where we all know that's never going to work, right? Like that's no, there's, there's not the surplus of high quality technology talent laying around going, I really wish I could find a job, right? Like, yeah, it's like they know which job they're taking next before they left the <laughs> last one. That's right. And, and I think to, to your point, um, you know, as being a product first founder and really building the business around technology, it was a realization that everything we do has some level of, of you know, market messaging or sales, whether that's, you know, bringing on new partner customer, but really, you know, recruiting and, and finding great leaders applies as well. And I think that goes for everybody at the business, whether they're, you know, quote unquote, front of the house or, or back of the house, because even like, you know, our CTO, PJ, 
he does an un- unbelievable job, obviously building the product, but also being like a steward of, of what we represent. And, you know, he's always talking about, you know, the best way to build tech, getting in front of a lot of people. And I think that like, you have to set that culture early on that, you know, recruiting best people or growing the business is everybody's responsibility, not just sales or, or revenue generating uh, folks at the business. It's, it's a great point. And one that I think many people, when they move from a large organization, right, when they want to try out a small organization, they don't understand how close to the machinery they're really going to get, right? And like, you're, you're, everyone's in sales, as Daniel Pink would say, right? We're all in sales. Whether we, are we on the sales team? No, but we're all in sales, right? And that, that's just so obvious at, you know, uh, more growth oriented organizations, right? So everybody's got to be out there advocating, selling, pushing, celebrating, all that good stuff. I did want to pivot to a a different question. You know, you're doing some really amazing stuff with technology. uh, And it's a huge different world than it was 18 months ago. You guys are sitting kind of at a good nexus of exactly what that is. And so what's the most important thing, right? Moving from like a 2019 to 2022, what's the most important thing yeah, you've learned over the last 18 to 24. Yeah, how open really any business is to fintech payments and, you know, really money movement innovation with a push toward, you know, better, faster, contactless. Um, and I think, you know, there's a, there are a lot of folks that are saying, you know, every business needs to have a, a you know, payments or fintech aspect to it. And I think why not start with the way people collect or distribute capital in and out of their business, right? Everybody needs to collect payment if, you know, if they're in, you know, business and even nonprofits need to understand how to collect donations, et cetera. Right. And so if you're looking at businesses that were affected negatively by the pandemic, it's the way to reduce costs on, you know, interchange or chargeback or fraud. Right. And if you're on-prem, then it's contactless, right? People don't want to touch cash or plastic or any sort of hardware. So really, it's it's opened up so much dialogue about the better way to get paid or pay out. And, you know, we've been sort of waving that flag for a really long time. And we want people to, to talk about it. Um, and we, like you said, we're sitting at the nexus of that discussion. And now for us, it's really about, you know, creating the focus step by step. So there's a really loud uh, message around cannabis because, it's so underserved by existing payment methods, right? It's really cash dominant environment. Combine that with the pandemic and cannabis being essential, you know, and, you know, us working really hard to be compliant in the space. That's why it's been such kind of accelerant growth um, over the last couple of years. And we're going to see that in other industries that are being underserved by, by those, you know, incumbent solutions. And even those larger, you know, companies, networks, banks, they're starting to keep a really close eye on to, to what's coming next. And we're not saying, hey, we'll never talk to those folks who want to work collaboratively with them to say, we think there's a better way. We have the tech to bring that better way to the industry. Let's partner to put it in the world. And I think a lot of banks that are have been talking about it for a while and want to start processing against it are starting to enter the discussions because of the how the conversations accelerated over the last couple of years. Um, so like you said, lots of excitement going on, maybe too much at times. We've got to like sort of temper it and get real about like, hey, how are people really going to use these things? How are they going to integrate uh, with the platforms? How does accounting work? 
things like that. So those are all things that we get excited about too, because we're all about making it real. That's great. Oh, one of the other subjects that I really want to touch on is, you know, that leadership style, right? Like you're a relatively younger guy, right? And you're having a tremendous amount of success. Uh, clearly, um, you, you've got a pedigree of leadership that comes through, right? Uh, I know your family. I know your brother. Uh, so there's clearly a, a tradition there of, of that. What is it like, but you and your brother are not alike in many ways, right? <laughs> right. And so uh, he made me promise that I'd say he's the more handsome one. But uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying he gave me 50 bucks. And, you know, that's enough for me. But <laughs> from a leadership standpoint, like your style of leadership, what do you think is one of the things that you, you know, as you're going through this transformation and this growth, and it's like, you got to start picking what, it, what is it the, the biggest thing you've learned over, over the last couple of years? Yeah, no, de- definitely uh, learned a lot from, from Alex. Um, my brother, how you mentioned worked, worked for him at GP shopper, um, family of entrepreneurs, you know, fathers from Latin America moved to the U S started a business. Um, so I think it's, it's really in the DNA and, the business that he started was in sports apparel. And so surrounded by athletics, really, you know, my whole life and, you know, motivated a lot by the disciplines that, you know, revolve around athletics and sort of see AeroPay and really anything I do as an extension of that lens, right? Teamwork, discipline, um, being able to create new strategies that, you know, might kind of go go ahead from you know any other strategies that competitors might come up with and that's my leadership style right so and just being very direct rolling up my sleeves diving into the to the product or the sales or compliance or regulatory environment you know you can't be scared of any area and obviously building the team around around that right and and partnering with them and not kind of and trusting them to do their job. Um, so, you know, again, coming from an athletic background, I think that was really a, a, a key learning experience for me and how I wanted to run this company. I think you also shared with us, Dan, the last time we talked about how how passionate you are about connecting with other founders and that that's something that you absolutely not only want to do, but uh, that everyone should continue to do. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I you know, Starting in 2017, I think there was, there's an intimidation factor that's hard to ignore, right? You, you know, I came from a mid-sized company that sold to a bank and then there's that crossroad, wanted to start AeroPay, the company is acquired to that bank and, you know, jumping into starting the company is, is, is quite an intimidating feat and especially in a new city. And I think, you know, you have, you're going to have a lot of people as a new entrepreneur founder telling you kind of what you need to do or advising you on your on your path or what worked for them. And I think being able to kind of take all that information in, but creating your own path uh, was great advice from all the other founders that did it in a similar way. And I really couldn't have gone about, you know, starting AeroPay in a new city, a brand new concept that that really hasn't been done in, the, in this specific way without the feedback that I was provided um, by a lot of key founders in and around the Midwest and, and other places. So, you know, for any new founders out there, reach out to any founder, like LinkedIn's a great tool. People look at it more than they, they probably want to admit. Um, I definitely use it all the time. You know, so if I get an inbound from, 
you know, any founder that wants to connect and chat, and I've done that a lot to others, um, I'd welcome that, right? And and really open to those discussions because creating new entrepreneurs is is great, obviously for the country, it's great for the world, but it's really great for Chicago. And I just want to be kind of an advocate, like give it a try if you can, you know, jump into it. You've got that idea bubbling. There's a way to to test it out and get it done. And now the tools, like even from when I started in 2017, there's so many tools out there to get started on a lean budget that you can even, you know, put a web page up there, start to tease out through a wait list or create some marketing buzz and, you know, talk to some people that might fund an idea or early stage and get it started. Like that's, that's really just the encouragement that I would wanted to hear that I, I want to represent. Yeah, I can't, I couldn't agree more on the subject that it's never been easier to be an entrepreneur. Oh yeah. Right. Like it's never like I started in 98 and you used to have to like buy stuff, Like you can rent everything you need to like be, start a business, right? Like you need a CRM, you need offices, you know, office 365, Google, whatever, like, but there's literally no physical things you have to buy to get started. Like you build.com to buy and pay for things. Just the automation power, especially if you're, if you're, if you've got a, a bend towards tools like that, uh, it, it's, it's never been more accessible. You don't have to rent an office space either. <laughs> exactly. Right. But even formation, like formation tools and, and legal and stuff like that was such a hurdle, um, even just a few years back. And now there's so many sites that can help you, you know, so many website builders and even hosting if you are building a full fledged product. But now there's even low code and no code tools that allow you as kind of a non-technical person to build real product and put it out in the world um, to test it as a V1. And then you can really, if you need to raise capital, you don't always need to, but if you need to, you can do it against something you've put in the real world for a very lean budget. Well, and you, uh, you connected with 1871, right? And that, that, yeah. that was part right. of your process of, of getting the support as you're growing and, and creating this massively uh, expanding organization. So it's definitely there's communities out there to support you. There's like you said, get on LinkedIn, connect with people, even just to say, I, I respect what you've done. I'd like mm-hmm. to stay connected with you. All that stuff. Uh, it just, to your point, it's not even like it help build the business as much as it is create value for yourself and others. If you think about it, five, six, seven, ten years down the road, the relationships that you start fostering, it's just the amount of I think quality of life that you're creating for yourself, right? Where you, you've, you've got more doors than you know what to do with, right? Absolutely. And big shout out to the, the Latin incubator program. We were part of cohort two and that was great. And, and I think one of the main things I got out of it, you know, learned a lot, met, met good, good mentors, but the other founders, right? That sense mm-hmm. of, you know, community with seeing other people go through exactly what you're going through and bouncing off ideas. And how did you do that? You know, maybe I can borrow this NDA template or whatever it is. And you start sharing all these things and, you know, it starts to create this like coherence of how to go about kind of starting up. So, you know, highly encourage, you know, incubator programs or accelerators, um, in the earliest stages, just to even create that community. I'm still really good friends with a lot of people that I went through that program with. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really important concept to know. It's never too late to get started, 
right? Absolutely. I have a 17-year-old son who told me it's too late. I'm too far behind on whatever it was. He was convincing himself it was too late. So I brought up the Ray Kroc Wikipedia page. Do you know how old he was when, when he started McDonald's? I think he was in his 50s, right? 52 years old. Wow. Right. You ne- it's never too late, right? Well, Dan, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been a wonderful conversation. Congratulations again on all of your success. Well-earned, well-deserved. I uh, we know we're all pulling for you. Glad to have you here in Chicago. You're welcome, actually. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for taking the time with us. Today. I'll proudly call it the first city, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> I can get into the whole insecurity about Chicago. Like Whenever there's anything bad on the news, for some reason, we have to associate with somebody who once lived in Chicago, like there's a tornado in, in Oklahoma and a guy who lived in Des Plaines was there. And it's like the universe <laughs> does not need us involved. I don't know why this happens. I had a Wisconsin friend point that out to me. I was very upset when I realized they were right. That was a very bad. Decision, <laughs> but anyways, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate yeah. it. And like I said, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate that very much. And great chat and happy to continue. And for anyone that wants to connect, uh, you know, LinkedIn or Daniel at aeropay.com is my email. Um, you know, feel free to reach out. Always available to chat. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, our pleasure. We also wanted to thank you, our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.